Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Barris SAGE Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we have David Barrett, the founder and CEO of Expensify, whose purpose is to improve the world one expense report at a time. I love it. And Expensify does expense reports that don't suck. You gotta love that, Ed. Uh, <laughs> I do. I do love that. That's a great, great slogan. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bold vision. We're trying to improve the world one expense report at a time. I love it. And David, you're a wine aficionado, so we're going to save that probably for the last segment because I'm up here in wine country. So I, we got to talk to you about that. But oh, uh, excellent. Uh, I, I love some of your bio. Your your programming since you were six you're an alpha geek i mean you, you've got the world's cutest bait beagle i love that that's a snoop <laughs> dog um you love third world travel and first class wine but hates expense reports so that's just awesome so welcome to the soul of enterprise thank you so much so david just let me ask you for history bio how where where whence you came and how'd you get where you are sure uh so my background is uh i've been a programmer since i was six um, and so I started off with computer graphics. I worked uh, writing 3D graphics engines throughout middle school and high school. I worked in the virtual reality lab at the University of Michigan. I went to the game industry in Texas for a while, th- writing 3D graphics engines for a motorcycle racing simulation company. Uh, and then I got into uh, voice over IP, uh, screen sharing, video conferencing, then uh, peer-to-peer uh, content distribution. So all of this like really hard technology. And so it's sort of a strange transition to start from, or start from all of that and then go into expense reports, as you'd imagine. And I think that uh, uh, it's been sort of an interesting journey where I've always been interested in the sort of the, the key uh, uh, difficult technologies. And I think that financial uh, payments sector is it's a really interesting problem space for technology. And so that's why I got into expense reporting is that this space is full of all sorts of interesting challenges, but it's been approached with a very kind of antiquated mindset. And so I think a lot of the technology uh, that's been here hasn't really changed for decades, but I saw that we could see, uh, just apply the latest technology to the space and kind of really revolutionize what's this, we, we think is a, a truly critical and just mission critical application space. You know, one of the things that really intrigued me is you said in an article I was reading um, that the company almost never happened because you didn't start as an expense report company. You yeah, started as a prepaid debit card company. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, yeah, actually, initially I had no interest in expense reports whatsoever. Um, and, and the story there is, uh, so my last company got acquired by a company called Akamai, who no one's ever heard of, but they power about a quarter of the internet. 
Um, and uh, day after acquisition, I was like, all right, I need to do something that um, solves a problem that I've personally experienced uh, that I would pay to have solved. Uh, something that can be sold directly to individuals because I just hated enterprise sales and something that deals with money. So I figured the best way to make money is to find some way to sell money. I'm like, it works for the banks. Why not me? And so um, that sort of took me towards a prepaid debit card space. And I wanted to do this. Uh, imagine this kind of proxy card system where you have a prepaid debit card that has no money on it. But every time a purchase is made in the card, the purchase is billed back to your personal credit card. So you could give this card out to different people and say, you know, your card works up to $500 a day. Uh, this card only works at Starbucks. And this, only, this other card only works like $10 per purchase and only per restaurant. So it's a very flexible sort of proxy card system. And... Um, I went to the banks with this idea, and they're like, whoa, this is way too weird. Like, it could work, I guess, but, like, you know, 2007 is not a good year for the banking sector. Too weird, too risky, we're out. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, I need to sound low risk. I need to sound boring. I'm like, what is the most boring thing I can possibly think of? And I'm like, aha, expense reports. And so I literally picked it because it's the dullest thing I can imagine. And I went back to those banks, and I'm like, you know, forget all that. Now I'm just going to do expense report reimbursements. And they're like, uh, oh, that sounds you know safe and boring, and I hate my expense reports too. And they're like, uh, and, and I'm going to do this prepaid debit card thing on the side, but just don't pay attention to that. And they're like, yeah, I mean, what could it possibly be? And so I chose expense management just because it was the most boring and safe industry I could possibly think of uh, in order to get through the risk departments of these banks. And uh, thus, Expensify first launched as is Expensify, the corporate card for the masses at uh, TechCrunch 50 in 2008. And the idea was this, um, you would use your personal credit card and then give out our cards to your employees as sort of like a, a, a very low-end corporate card system. And then we had this sort of chintzy expense reporting system built on top of that. But because we really, I, I literally had no intention of building the system. I just wanted it to sound good on stage. And so I just made up all this stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know. We do this credit card stuff. This uh, the approval process is automatic, and uh, you use your mobile phone. You just take pictures of receipts, and we read everything off of it, and just made all this anything that would sound good. And and um, so we launched this, and everyone's like, "Wow, your cards are interesting and creative and all that, but your expense reports are amazing." And I'm like, right. "Well, <laughs> yeah, because they don't exist." Uh, and then the very next day, MasterCard shut us down. Like, they canceled all of our cards because, like, it was uh, some small thing. It was, like, a, a trademark symbol wasn't in the right form or something stupid like that. But, like, it's, you know, when you're dealing with banks, those things matter. And so we get shut down, and I'm just like, fuck, now what are we going to do? And, uh, uh, like, well, people seem to really like this reporting concept, and maybe we just do that. Maybe we just actually, we were just making it up, but, like, I could actually just make that real. Um, and... Uh, all this happened right around the same time. Like we launched, so 2008 was the year like the iPhone app store opened up. And so it's like the iPhone is brand new. The concept of apps was this brand new thing. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to make an enterprise mobile app. And everyone's like, that's stupid. That would never work. Everyone knows apps are for games. And, uh, and I'm like, and it's going to scan receipts. And they're like, well, that's not going to work because the cameras on these phones are just awful. Like you just literally couldn't even read the receipt. It was so bad. Um, but I just talked about it for so much, and I'm like, well, eventually this is going to work. And then one day, uh, the iPhone got an autofocus camera. So suddenly, you had this perfect receipt capture vehicle in your pocket. Uh, this is an always-on connected internet. And so everything just fell together at the same time, and we were the only ones trying. And so we just sort of stumbled into this opportunity of this very employee-focused, mobile-focused um, enterprise expense reporting service that uh, is pulled into the organization through the employee and then uses the expense report as a natural sort of viral vehicle to grow throughout the organization because 
every time you submit an expense report, you put us in touch with someone more important than you, like your boss, your finance department, and things like this. And so just we had this zero marginal cost uh, user acquisition vehicle and this natural viral growth into the enterprise uh, to create this super low cost of enterprise sales model and to a super sticky, uh, fantastic market. And so I now like the biggest cheerleader for the space, but I certainly uh, didn't know that when I started. I, I love it because your enterprise sales model being from the bottom up, you completely go around IT and procurement. It, it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it sure looks brilliant in retrospect, but I think that uh, it just kind of, we just kept doing what was working. And I think that was the main thing that's been a, kind of the guiding philosophy of Expensify from the start is, like, I'm not an accountant. I have no idea about uh, what accountants want, or I didn't at the time. And so I didn't come into it with my own view of how it should be done, at least not from an accounting perspective. I did come in with my own view of how the experience should be for the end user. Um, and that's basically about, you know, really, you should just take a picture of the receipt and then everything else should happen automatically. That's, like, that's sort of in a nutshell what we do. Um, but the accounting side, I had no idea. And so, uh, but uh, the good thing is I knew I had no idea. And so uh, at the very least, you know, from the start, we just focused on listening to people and saying like, look, you seem really excited about whatever it is you think I'm doing. Just tell me what that is and I'll do it. And, uh, and so that's made a, a company that's very focused on listening to the customer and just giving people what they want. And, you know, you, you say how it, it reduces your, your cost of goods sold. Obviously, there's no sales force, and, but there's no advertising. And you were, able, you were able to build up this great brand with no advertising. And it made me think of, I don't know if you've ever heard the line from Robert Stevens, the founder of Geek Squad. Hmm. But he said, advertising is a tax companies pay for being unremarkable. <laughs> I love that. That's great. No, I think that that's great. And I, I mean, uh, yeah, so we've grown to date, basically, um, you know, we're like 18,000 customers worldwide. Um, you know, we're the standard for Silicon Valley, like, you know, both Uber and Lyft use us. You know, it's the one thing they can agree upon. Uh, uh, all of the unicorns or former use, unicorns use us, uh, like all of the, uh, like anything starting with Zen uses us. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we've been uh, very uh, successful basically focusing on the end user and word of mouth. Now, um, uh, and I would say it hasn't been easy because uh, it's taken a lot of uh, patience and time to sort of grow in this fashion. Um, but it's we're the fastest growing expense reporting um, company in the world, uh, according to Gartner, for the past couple of years. And so uh, I think that it uh, hasn't been the fastest to get started. But the nice thing about exponential growth is it always adds up in the end. Yeah, and I just want to point out, too, you were named most innovative companies in 2015 by Fast Company. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I think we just got uh, the Forbes Cloud 100 thing as well. Um, yeah, and so there's certainly a lot of those uh, awards that stack up over the time. But, I mean, the biggest award, of course, is really just having the largest customer base. And, David, you use a freemium uh, pricing model, which Ed and I are, you know, really fascinated with. We've talked about on the show before. But how is that how, – how much of your success do you attribute to that? Oh, well, I mean – there's no one thing that makes a company successful, but I would say it's the sum of a whole bunch of things. That's certainly a big one. And uh, the way the pricing works is uh, it's super simple. It's just $9 per active user per month. Uh, and that's it. So there's no setup fees. There's no integration fees. There's no like minimums. There's none of that. It's just like a straight activity-based pricing. Um, and so, uh, but the, the 
the product only costs uh, to the organizations who adopt it company-wide. And so the, the freemium portion is Expensify is completely free for the individual. Like as an individual employee, you can download the app, sign up yourself. It requires no permission from your company, no integration from your company. You can just start using it. And so a huge fraction of our users are just individuals in companies uh, that are just using us to scan receipts and then construct their expense reports for them. Uh, and then we use the individual sort of free user as our lead generator into the organization because anytime uh, someone downloads Expensify and uses it, that's really like raising their hand and saying like, I hate my expense reports so much, I'm going to bypass whatever the policy is to use Expensify instead. And then they will uh, get all their coworkers on board and basically, uh, you know, sort of pressure the organization from the bottom up. It's like, why, why aren't we using this? This just makes so much sense. Uh, and the best sales force really is just a you know an individual employee is clamoring for you, right? And I remember reading like when you know certain companies would acquire other companies and then they they would switch them over to their expense reporting model, whatever SAP Oracle, and you were able to get some of those back. Oh yeah, I mean the, the probably the the biggest name for that would be Yahoo, uh, in that. Um, yeah, Yahoo was a major source of churn for us. They acquired like Tumblr and Flurry and all these guys. And every time we'd lose, you know, a customer with hundreds of employees. But in the process of doing so, we'd put a few more hundred employees inside of Yahoo uh, who uh, were forced back onto Oracle iExpense. And so when Marissa uh, came into Yahoo and she said, look, priority number one is uh, attracting and retaining the best talent. Uh, and so they did all these surveys internally, like, what do you hate the most about working at Yahoo? And the number one complaint was expense reporting, which seems astonishing, but it's like, no, it's like the top of the list. It's like, I hate our expense reporting so much. It's the one thing that bothers me the most about Yahoo. Um, and so, and they weren't saying like, look, please improve our expense reporting. They were saying, please adopt Expensify. Uh, and so Yahoo approached us out of the blue um, and uh, with this giant list of requirements um, uh, and this like, you know, RFP process and all that. And we're like... Yeah, we're not going to do that. Uh, we feel very comfortable with the product as is, and if you want those requirements, you just don't want something else. Um, and so then they they were like, uh, they came back and they trimmed away like a, a whole bunch of stuff. Because this is what the problem of enterprise software isn't necessarily the software itself. It's that the software has a billion features that no one actually wants or uses, and don't don't really need anyway. But they just create all this noise and complexity. And so we just haven't built those. And so we're like, look, we just don't do anything that's stupid. We just do the stuff that matters. And uh, when we sort of pushed back on that, and then they were forced to really grapple with like this huge list of requirements. So like, why do we do this stuff anyway? And uh, <laughs> um, and there was and so they were triggered a bunch of soul searching internally. And they're like, you know, actually a lot of this stuff really doesn't make any sense. This is we just it's what we do. And so they came back and uh, built a, a whole new expense policy. It's so much simpler. And um, we rolled out uh, to Yahoo globally uh, in six weeks. And an enterprise deployment at that scale in six weeks across, you know, 20 countries or whatever it is, like that's unheard of. And I think it's because we have a very simple product and we're focused on that simplicity and we're comfortable saying no if people have, uh, have requests that just don't make sense. Sure. No, I love it. I love how you push back on them. That's fantastic. Well, David, we're up against our first break. And folks, we'd like to remind you, if you'd like to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. And please check out our show notes. And we'll have full show notes with uh, our interview with David at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back with David Baer from Expensify. And David, I just want to pick up on something that you mentioned or talking about with Ron, I I actually about five years ago called up our chief people officer and, and wanted to file a, a a harassment complaint against our expense system. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. It's creating a hostile work environment. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about expense management is you wouldn't like of of all enterprise software, it's just the most emotionally charged, which sounds silly, except it's like, you might not like the size of your paycheck, but you don't really care who gives it to you. It just appears in your bank account. And so, uh, but expense management is one that you just, you deal with. You deal with like at a time when you're super hurried and stressed. And so it's basically the worst possible moment to be thinking about something is what it forces you to think about it. First, uh, and then second, I would say, um, you're basically extending a zero-interest loan to your employer uh, every time you're using it, and you have to act as your own repo man to get paid back. It's like everything about it is just designed to uh, antagonize the employee. And so, yeah, I think that we viewed that that sheer uh, angst uh, is what we harness by saying, it's like, look, you don't have to hate your software anymore. Like with Expensify, the way it works is it's like basically um, you take your phone out of your pocket, you take a picture of the receipt, you put your phone back in the pocket and you never think of that receipt again. Like we scan everything off the receipts. There's no typing involved. We categorize it. We code it. We uh, put it onto the proper expense report according to your accountant. It's like uh, if it's basically uh, they want to split away the reimbursables from the cash, uh, uh, the corporate cards and things of like this, that's fine. We'll do all of that. Uh, we'll submit the corresponding expense report automatically in the right frequency. Uh, and then we have all these sort of automated features for um, doing the approvals as well. Like we'll Oh, it's sort of this DocuSign experience where it's like, yeah, this expense report has 50 expenses on it, but 48 of them are fine. You just don't even need to look at them. They're small. Their receipt matches the transaction. It's under the, uh, it's coded correctly. It's like, don't even look at it. There's, but these two, we're going to highlight to you that like these are the two you should really pay attention to, and here's exactly why. 
Um, and then it all finishes with like next day reimbursement. And so the, the weird thing about electronic payments is there's, they're normally really slow. It's like slower than mailing a check is to try to give people money online. But for us, we've actually really invested in a very fast reimbursement such that we'll pay you usable funds will actually be in your bank account tomorrow. And so the, the whole experience for the employee is, you know, you slap down that $5 bill for your uh, Starbucks coffee, take a picture of the receipt, and then money will be in your account tomorrow. And you don't have to do anything in the meantime. Yeah, great. Yeah, great stuff. And and I, I oftentimes you know get in, into arguments with uh, the expense team on certain things because I'm just like, are we are we really arguing over like a thirty five dollar item? And if you want, I'll write you a check. And they usually say, well, no, 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 that's okay. I'm like, well, why did you even ask me in the first place? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for wasting everyone's time. <laughs> so, um, look, I, I, I you said something to run it, and I. It just kind of dawned on me. The App Store is not even 10 years old yet. That is kind of hard to believe. It's hard to, to fathom and swallow considering the millions or perhaps billions of apps that have been downloaded. It, it, does, does that kind of kind of blow you away, too, to think that this is still nascent as an industry? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's wild because, I mean, it's our... I think that's being there for the entire period of it because we, we launched at like the same time it launched. And that's what I think is interesting about business overall and startups is like when we started, everything we said, every, like all of the experts at the time were like, that. David, I'm sorry, that's, that's incredibly stupid. They're like, first, you know, nothing about accounting. Second, uh, this whole app thing is just a phase. Uh, third, the cameras are terrible. Fourth, uh, trying to sell into the enterprise with the employees never been done before. It's like, you're going to, I don't know, you're going to fail for all of these reasons. And it turns out that basically uh, everything changed. It's basically like um, uh, no one could have predicted uh, that all of this stuff sort of comes together in everything that people are pointing to as our greatest weaknesses turned out to be like really genius strengths in retrospect. And so, yeah, I think it's, a, it's certainly been a wild ride being, uh, being there right when that door opened uh, and just being carried along with that, you know, these trends that are so much bigger than us. Sort of under the heading of it's sometimes better to be lucky than good, right? But but I, I think I think you're both. I mean, from 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 what I've read about you, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about your corporate culture inside Expensify. T- tell us a little bit of what, about what that's like. Well, yeah, well, we're a pretty small company. Uh, we're about a hundred employees now, um, and uh, we have grown very very slowly. So we're I guess when I started the company in two thousand eight, and so we're about you know eight years in or something. Um, and on a good month, we're hiring like one person, like maybe two people. And, uh, and that takes a long time to grow a company like that. Because most companies are like, oh, yeah, you know, this week we're aiming to hire 50 engineers or something. And, and you can do that if you just don't care who you're hiring. But, but we care a lot. And so we, we spend an enormous uh, amount of time and energy on the hiring process. And we hire very few people. And I think that it's all about trying to, uh, like everyone will say, you know, there are people who are like 10 or 100 times more effective than everyone else. But then most companies just hire 10 or 100 times more people. Like, we just want to hire those people who are incredibly uh, productive and super humble and can work well on teams and just, just build a company of those superstars and see how far they can get us. And so far, it's gotten us pretty far. Yeah, I, I once uh, talked to Kip Tindell, who is the CEO of uh, the the Container Store, and he said basically the same thing. He said, uh, "Look, uh, he says a good employee is three times better than an okay employee. A great employee is three times better than a a good employee, and a you know top notch employee is three times better." So when you do the multiplication, you know we hire one person, and it's really like hiring twenty seven. You know? Yeah, yeah, I, so, I completely agree. 
Yeah. So uh, and I, I want to ask you about that because you said you're growing slowly and there was a you wrote a blog post that was a reaction to the, the name that is given the the your, the companies that are actually oh. profitable <laughs> in 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 the industry when you know you're supposed you're supposed to David you're supposed to be burning through venture capital that's what you're supposed to be doing and spending you know four times as much as you take in um, <laughs> yeah that's uh, another thing that we're doing wrong is we're actually making yeah money. you're clearly not because you're actually making money so that so the term was a cockroach so explain that and then explain your reaction to that sure so okay I, the past few years have been really kind of difficult as uh, let me step back and I'll say in Silicon Valley there are two business models um, there's one which is like build a viable business where you care about margins and profitability and sustainability and all this stuff um, or the second which is by far the more common uh, is just to sell to a bigger sucker um, and just basically you just pump and dump some startup and it doesn't matter about the economics or the fundamentals of it because really some company is going to acquire you and they're just going to screw everything up it's like it's become just a truism that it's like um, uh, hey congratulations you got your startup acquired is too bad that they're just going to ruin it and but they're like yeah but you know i got paid and that's just like basically sums up the kind of the attitude of silicon valley it's like very few people are trying to build a real business they're just trying to build like a feature that can be incorporated into someone else's giant business and um and so as a result i think that a lot of the uh uh a lot of the best practices of silicon valley are really about sort of um uh, pumping up and inflating uh, revenue growth and things like this in an incredibly unsustainable way, uh, all about such that you can take chips off the table at every sort of fundraising round. And that's why um, I think that's going kind to of fuel the whole unicorn growth thing where it's basically, it's like there's cheap money uh, and, um, and there's this new app economy and a lot of like, you know, excitement around that. And uh, this caused basically this business model to develop where it's basically, uh, you raise a tremendous amount of money, but you can only raise a ton of money if you're actually committed to spending that much money. And so it creates this loop where basically people just hemorrhage just tons and tons of money uh, in this, you know, inexorable, you know, chasing growth. And then it's because like um, for SaaS businesses like ours, uh, the the argument has always been, it's like, hey, it doesn't really matter how much you pay to get the customer because they're going to stick around forever and make it work out. And so, yes, maybe you're losing just enormous amount of money every single day, uh, but you could stop at any time and just be super profitable. Well, I think the fiction behind all of that is that uh, people's valuations are proportional to how fast their revenue is growing. And so if you were to stop, sure, you'd be profitable, but then you'd see your valuation just take a nosedive because your valuation has been pumped up by this sort of this uh, artificial inflated growth. And so this kind of traps these companies and it's like, well, my valuation is high uh, because my revenue growth is high. But my revenue growth is high just because I'm losing money. It's like, uh, it's easy to make money if you're just losing it. It's like, uh, it's like yeah, it's great. I, I made a dollar today, but only I only lost $2 to do it. It's like, that's easy to do. And so I think that um, we see this, this unicorn company is just basically hemorrhaging cash and always raising more. And everyone's in on it because basically the investors are basically selling to the next sucker along the way as well. Like everyone is hoping that there's just another bigger sucker out there. And, uh, and I think that that worked well for a long time until suddenly one of the first IPOs start happening and everyone realizes, oh, wait, actually the public market isn't a sucker. They're not falling for this. Uh, and so the last investor is the sucker. And then the, everyone just stopped. They're like, screw this. I don't want to be the new sucker in the, in the, in the role. And so I think that um, the unicorn period was tricky because you know, we're, we're like here building a real business and profitability and zero marginal cost and all this stuff. And everyone's like, 
why didn't you just go raise $100 million? Like, I would gladly give you $100 million right now if you just pretended to spend it on something. Uh, because I'm convinced that we're going to find someone uh, even stupider than me to raise uh, to, uh, to to take the next round. And I'm like, no, I just I, I don't have a good way to spend it. Or like, or yes, I could blow it like everyone else does, but I don't think that I can spend that in a cost-effective way, in a profitable way. And so I'm just not going to. And I don't want to. And so my investors believe in building a real business. They they think that a lot of this stuff that's happening now isn't going to last. And so we've been really committed from the start on building a long-term, sustainably growing business. And I think that we've been proven out. Uh, I think that as the industry has collapsed for the other business model, and a lot of people are really pretty upset about that, it's great for us. It's just like a fire that burns a lot of the noise out of the, uh, out of the forest. And for us, it's like, that's fine. You know, uh, uh, we're happy to uh, arise from the ashes of the unicorn economy. And I think that's why this sort of um, focus on endurance and survival is why we got that unfortunate name of the cockroach. And that's why I think like, oh man, really? All this hard work and we're cockroaches? Screw that. <laughs> well, I love your response. And I love one, one of the things that you, you, you suggest as, as a replacement for cockroach is, is uh, uh, a tar, taring grade. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which, the water bearer. Yeah. The water bearer, which grew, what a great, what a great metaphor. So we'll we'll post a a picture of one of those on on our show notes because it's a, a fascinating animal. But we're up against our our next break here, and uh, just want to thank David for uh, being on the show, and he'll be back for another two more segments with us, which is fantastic. But we want to remind you that if you want to get a hold of Ron or myself, you can use asktsoe at verisage.com. Also hashtag asktsoe on Twitter, and we do check that during the show. So if you want to uh, get a question to us during the show. Please do that as well. But right now, we want to hear from our sponsor, Quanta CRM. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise 
Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here enjoying a great conversation with David Barrett, the uh, CEO of Expensify. And David, I loved what you were talking uh, to Ed about, about the unicorn and, and the whole, you know, looking at growth. We, we like to say that growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of a, the cancer cell, not, oh, a, <laughs> not a sustainable, profitable business. I mean, and it just amazes me to this day how many companies, you know, put so much emphasis on revenue. But I wanted to ask you about, you wrote an article, I think it was a blog post, on the future of cloud accounting. And you talked about ambient services. And I wanted to ask you about that because it was really fascinating. And obviously, it would really apply in your space as well. So what do you think the future of cloud computing is? Sure. I mean, well, I think the future of cloud uh, computing um, is really about it just fading into the background so we don't think about it. And I think that, um, you know, maybe to, to draw a broad arc, like to start, you know, Web 1.0 was like the internet was hard. It was super like putting an E in front of your name and having like a dot com was like actually a big deal. That cost millions of dollars to do that sort of stuff, and so it was just a big deal to like oh my god I've I've got a website and like it can do something. That's amazing, and then like uh, you know then the Amazon or then like Pets dot com and things like this come out and it's like wow now I can actually buy stuff online. This is incredible, um, and then. Uh, over time, basically, like, okay, of course, there's, like, a e-commerce for everything on the web. But then mobile comes out, and it's like, oh, my gosh, now I can actually buy stuff and do stuff uh, on my phone. This is incredible. And then apps come out, and it's like, oh, wow, now I can do it in a way that's, you know, really interactive and things like this. So it's been a sort of, you know, I imagine, like, a funnel has been opening up over time. It's just, you can... You can just always, every year, brought sort of new capabilities. But I think that's sort of changed in the past couple of years. And it's like the stuff that you do on your phone today is probably the same stuff you did in your phone two years ago. Um, because two years ago, you could do anything. And now you can still do everything. It's like we've gotten to a point where, like, of course, from my phone, anywhere in the world, I can call in video conference with everyone else in the world for free. I can uh, have you know a car come pick me up whenever I want. I can basically buy anything and uh, have it delivered to me tomorrow. And we've, we've become accustomed just to being able to do anything at all online. It's actually just an incredible achievement. But once you can do everything, you can't just do more. You can already, I think it's kind of gotten boring. And so I think the idea of like uh, we're already seeing this, it's really hard to be a new app because everyone already has an app that can do everything. And so I think the uh, the, the latest des- uh, change in sort of enterprise or in application design is actually um, no longer about just like adding new functionality, but being able to consolidate existing functionality. And I think that uh, uh, the best apps that we see are not features that are not... Um, uh, you know, really complex uh, collections of buttons that can do all sorts of stuff, but like one really amazing button that does something incredible. And I think that Uber is probably the first to really show that. It's like the entire Uber app is really just a single button. It's like this button you, you press and a car comes and picks you up and takes you everywhere. It's like it, there's a lot of work behind the scenes to make that happen, but the, actually the application itself is quite simple. And I think that uh, our sort of version of that is uh, the Expensify app can do like a billion different things, but really there's only one button we, w- we want you to press, and that's the button where you take a picture of the receipt. If you're doing anything else, it means we screwed up. Like if you have to come to our app and you know create an expense report and things like this, that means that our automation wasn't good enough. That means that it's not configured properly, whatever it is. And so I think the the going forward, we're going to see services just have less and less 
um, more and more functionality, uh, but less and less interface to do it. And I think that uh, that's what I think of an ambient service, like the, uh, the end game for all of that, is that you don't even know where... Uh, it is. You just speak out loud or something, whatever you possibly want to be done, and it just happens. And you don't have to think about, am I talking to my computer or my phone or whatever it is? It's basically the services are just uh, kind of seamlessly integrated everywhere you go. And I think that um, uh, from the way that we see it, at least in our space, is we think the future of expense management is not a service that you use at the end of the trip or something to think about, but rather you just travel and then we pick up basically uh, the pieces after the fact and we lay out a red carpet in front of you. So like the future of business travel, like today business travel sucks because it's like, you know, you're going to book a trip and you have to search through like 10 different sites to kind of research a million different hotels and every hotel is four stars and you have no idea what is good in the town and you really don't have any time to think about it anyway because I'm only going to be in New York for like a day. So how much time am I really going to plan an itinerary and really how hard am I going to think about these decisions? And so you show up and you hate your hotel and you're, 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 you know, your neighborhood sucks, whatever it is. And then you just kind of sit in your room all day long and eventually go home and it's like, well, that's another business trip. That sucked. Um, I think the way business travel should be is that, uh, you know, you should just accept a meeting in New York City uh, and that's it. Everything else should be taken care of for you. Like Expensify is going to reach out to you and say like, hey, we saw that you uh, took that meeting in New York. Um, I've uh, looked over all of your past purchases and we see that you like Virgin Airlines. Would you I've checked all the flights and this flight looks like the best for you. Uh, do you just want me to book it for you? And be like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And it's like, great. I've also, uh, uh, based upon your meeting's location, I've checked all of nearby hotels, um, and I've uh, basically analyzed them against your expense policy. Also, I've taken the liberty of looking through your past 10 years of credit card transactions. I've created a custom heat map of everything you seem to like. Uh, I see that you're landing pretty much around dinner time. So I've analyzed the nearby area. I found that this hotel is sort of nearest uh, the, the cool stuff that you like to do, uh, the bars and cafes and so forth. Furthermore, uh, it seems like your top five cuisines are French, uh, Thai, Chinese, and so forth. Uh, you've had French last week, so but you haven't had Thai in a while. There's a great Thai restaurant next to this particular whole uh, hotel, which is next to your meeting spot. How about I just go ahead and book all that for you? And by the way, I'll just pick you up an Uber from the airport and take you right there. How's that sound? Like, that's how business travel should be. You shouldn't be like this really complex series of decisions, but rather... There should be some other system out there that knows everything about your preferences and your needs and just asks you, do you want me to do this for you? And really, you should just say yes. And that's the future, I think, of, uh, of computing and business travel and all of this is you shouldn't have to sift through your phone or like find the perfect app for the perfect thing and all this stuff. There should be something else that knows that you need and just reaches out at the exact right time with the exact right question and you just say yes. Right, it anticipates your needs, and and rather than Siri, you ask it a question, it it anticipates the question, even before you might know what it is. Yeah, and I think that's one of the challenges. Like, I think it's interesting thinking about how, um, like, popular culture talks about when uh, innovation comes into the space, and I think it's, um, like, we think of uh, imagine touch screen, uh, touch screen technology, like that really came into popular conscious uh, with uh, Minority Report. Remember that he's like standing up and he's mm-hmm. got like, you know, there's a bunch of photos and things and he's like flipping around, his hands are waving everywhere. And like this is, and so every single touchscreen demo for like the next years was like people sorting big stacks of photos and there's some giant screen and like this huge screen and more photos or this virtual reality land of photos or whatever that is. But when touch technology really kind of became real, it was on the iPhone. 
And it was basically this tiny screen and you only use two fingers and you're never sorting a stack of photos. So like when it actually came out, it was nothing like the movies made us theme. It's so much better and simpler. And I think that uh, artificial intelligence is going to be the same way. Like we think of, you know, Tony Stark, like saving the world in Iron Man suit and talking with Jarvis or, uh, or in her, like basically he's talking and it's very long conversations with this, some very, you know, sexy AI or whatever that is that you're going to fall in love with. It's like, I don't think that's how it's going to happen. I think instead it's uh, going to be, uh, again, something is going to have really good data and really good knowledge in what you need, and it's going to ask you basic questions, and you're going to say yes. And that's much more powerful than, I think, how the movies have made it seem. You know, and well, I know it, it. Oh, sorry, Ed. I was just going to make one more point, and I know you want to get in here, but it, I, I'm reading a book by Kevin Kelly, The Inevitable, and he talked to Larry Page before Google went public and said, why, why are you doing this? A search engine, you know, there's, there's 25 of those out there. I mean, what, what's the point? And, and Larry Page told him, oh, we're really making an AI. Yeah, well, I mean, that makes sense because I think that's where this is all uh, trending towards is computers are powerful, but computers, uh, the technology itself is actually really not the hard part. It's the data that's the hard part. And that's one thing that I like about our space is that we know things that no one else knows. Like we know the reporting structure of your company. Like LinkedIn doesn't know that. Google doesn't know that, but we do through the expense management structure. Like uh, we know people's credit card transactions and thus we can infer all their past preferences. Uh, again, nobody else knows that. And so through business travel, we know where you're going to be before you get there. And so I think that uh, the people who are going to win the AI game uh, are those that have the best data because it's the data that enables you to anticipate the needs of the customer. And just just jumping in, you know, you, you you mentioned Minority Report and all these future movies. I heard a great quote recently. Somebody said, with all these futuristic movies, and you think back, you know, from 5, 10, even 50 years ago, none of them saw Uber coming because they all had their our heroes in the future getting into a taxi cab the same old way. <laughs> That's right? hilarious. Yeah, but yeah, I never thought about that. But yeah, it's like innovation blindsides you. It's like uh, it comes in ways that you can't even anticipate. And you're like, that is so much simpler and so much better than the movies ever made it seem. That, that's right. So I want to get into, Ron and I are big proponents of, of Bitcoin, and especially the blockchain more than anything else. Sure. Do you see, do you see a huge impact for, for Bitcoin and the blockchain in the near future, or is that a, a long-term 5-10 year thing? Well, I mean, I think that um, probably long-term, but also depends who you're talking about. Like Bitcoin isn't for the first world. It's for countries that have really terrible and volatile economies. And uh, like the United States... We got the U.S. dollar. It's super strong. It's uh, inflation's under control. It's like we have a, a reliable um, and secure financial system. And so, Bitcoin isn't really built for us. I think that uh, Bitcoin is fantastic for environments where inflation's out of control, where uh, there's all sorts of currency controls between moving money in and out of the countries and things like this. And so, I think that Bitcoin is already a big deal. Um, in a lot of the world. It's just not quite a big deal here. Here, we think of it more of an investment. Um, and I think that, yes, over time, uh, everyone, uh, in order to diversify their portfolio, should have some kind of cryptocurrency in it. Um, and I think that's that's more of a long-term play. And so I think in the first world, it's going to be more seen as an asset or basically um, uh, for uh, diversifying a portfolio, whereas it's more of a daily uh, reality for third world. Yeah, I've heard that that it most likely the the path for for Bitcoin or any kind of cryptocurrency is through the fourth world and then looping back to us in the end, right? Because that w which would make sense. What you're talking about is like all all of a sudden because you know billions of people in say uh, India or China or Argentina are using this currency, all of a sudden, well, hey, we we now have to get on the bandwagon. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think that uh, I, I don't know that you're going to walk into Starbucks in uh, San Francisco and buy something with Bitcoin, but you know, it's San Francisco's weird, like maybe, but but it doesn't make <laughs> sense. Like someone would have to go through so much effort to buy a coffee. Uh, with Bitcoin, when it's like, dude, we got credit cards. Credit cards are awesome. Like, we forget how amazing credit cards are. If, like, imagine we're in a world that only had Bitcoin and Apple Pay, and then someone invented the credit card. You'd be like, hey, guys, I got this new thing. It's this <laughs> tiny card. Uh, it requires no batteries. It's completely indestructible. I have machines scattered all over the world that can spit out physical currency into, like, the local sort of uh, denomination. Uh, you can even uh, scrape the ice off your windshield with it. We'd be like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. But like we've gotten bored with it. it, but that doesn't change the fact that no, if you have a real strong uh, financial um, economy and you have a, like you know Visa and Mastercard, dude, it's really hard to beat that. Absolutely. I, I I just also think you know that we we are amazed, and Ron and I talk about this all the time that how much trust is built into the system. We are swimming in a system of trust that we just don't see. Well, yeah, I think the trust underpins a lot of that. I mean, we see that ourselves. Clearly, we, we, we deal with billions of dollars of expense reports, and, so we're, and we're reimbursing this money, basically, to the employees. And so uh, being able to, and going back to the topic of data and AI, I think that uh, uh, the most powerful AIs are going to be powered by the most uh, detailed and personal data. And that personal data requires a tremendous amount of trust to be dealt with appropriately. And I think that... Um, uh, companies like Expensify have to be built on that sort of foundation of trust and security. And so we work very hard to uh, earn the trust of the uh, uh, of the user and make it clear that, like, look, this is not our data. This is your data. And anything that's done with it is done for your benefit. And if you don't want that, that's cool. You can opt out of it. But I think uh, making sure that people uh, understand how the data is being used and it's being used for their benefit and with uh, within their personal definition of privacy, I think that's important. Great stuff, David. And we're, we're coming up against our, our, our fourth or the last break here. But I want to remind you that you can visit us at thesoulofenterprise.com, where we will post up show notes from our conversation with David today. Also want to remind you that Sage Summit 2016 is coming up next week. So please take a look at sagesummit.com, where we, we will be streaming the keynotes and stuff. And I will be and Ron will be a speaker there. But right now, we want you to hear from our sponsor, and that is my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well welcome back everybody we're here with david barrett this founder of expensify enjoying our conversation and david i wanted to ask you you testified before congress Oh, yeah, that was fun. And, and you told them, let's not screw it up. What <laughs> What was the main message or thrust of your testimony? Yeah, well, so, uh, uh, gosh, that, that was such a weird scenario. Yeah, I guess the uh, the Senate reached out to me to, to get feedback on uh, small business growth. And basically, I spoke in a panel talking about the app economy and, uh, and small business. And, um, and I think my main message was, like, things are pretty good. Like, just try not to... Uh, bring the hammer down the app economy and like, like the gig economy, for example, and like the Ubers and things like this, and uh, recognizing that the nature of work is changing and it's changing voluntarily. And that, the, um, yes, there's a lot of noise around um, uh, around sort of the changing working conditions of being like an Uber driver and so forth. And I'm not gonna, going to pretend that there aren't problems, but at the same time, uh, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there. And so let's not um, uh, get overly cons- uh uh, aggressive on uh, solving the problems so much so that we lose out on the potential benefits. Right, right. No, great message. Well, look, I have to ask you, I know you travel a lot and I know you like wine. So what's been your, fa- I know this is an unfair question, but what's been your favorite travel destination? Ooh, well, uh, I would say the best, my favorite place in the world is this beach in Thailand called Riley Beach. It's basically in the south of this peninsula called uh, Krabi Peninsula. It's uh, it's actually not an island, but you can only access it by boat because it's uh, surrounded by mountains. And it's just this very small, quiet, quaint beach. And it's um, uh, got this the most incredible sunsets and uh, just the best sort of relaxed environment. And it's just the best place in the world. And uh, it does not have any wine. <laughs> but it's got Thai food. Now I'm going to restrict this to California wines, just because I'm a fellow Californian too, and a um, bit north of you. But uh, what's your favorite California wine? Boy, that's tough. I mean, I certainly there's so much, and I think that it really comes down to. Um, I think that it's easy to get good wine if you're willing to just pay a ton of money. And so I think it's not so it's not hard to, to find like the good wine. If I were to, like. What's the best wine? Well, I go, you know, Screaming Eagle or something like this, but I can never afford it, so I never drink it. Um, but I would say the real challenge is how do you find a uh, really high-value wine? So it's uh, a super affordable, something that you can actually, you know, be willing to open up every day. And so I actually really like this uh, winery called Little Vineyards. And so their last name is Little, but they're also it's a very small place, small production. Um, and they just have a really great cab. Everything is just really, it's a Sonoma Vineyard. Uh, they've got this band blend. I think it's like a $17 price point or something like this. And so it's like a good table wine. Um, and so you can obviously go so much more expensive than these. But I think that for the value and having something that you can just feel comfortable uh, drinking every night, man, I love Little Vineyards. Yeah, I, 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 I haven't been there, but I know what you're talking about because I, I live in Petaluma. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, I'll check that out. Thanks. That, that That's what I was looking for, a recommendation, really. <laughs> no problem. I, I've got plenty. 
So, David, in one of your articles, or maybe it was an interview with you, um, you said, you know, entrepreneurs or people that want to start businesses should stop getting distracted from all the crappy advice that's out there. Most of it's awful. What, what would be your advice, though, uh, to a budding entrepreneur? Well, I mean, it's quite simple. I would say stop asking questions. Like uh, the likelihood that you're going to find someone who actually knows what you want need to do better than you is just so slim. Like it could happen. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I think the, the probability of it happening is so low. It's kind of like go into any sort of bookstore about like, you know, business advice. There'd be like a thousand books, all of which completely contradict each other, all of which are written by people who have equal impressive credentials. And so what do you do? Just read a thousand of them? Like, what's the likelihood that the book you pick is the right one? Plus, you, there's no way to be an expert in the future. You can only be an expert in the past. And so I think uh, trying to trust anyone who has some sort of expertise, it's like that expertise, by definition, is dated. And this is a really fast-growing, you know, a changing world. And so I would, I think to survive as an entrepreneur means ultimately uh, getting comfortable with trusting your instincts. And that only happens when you start trusting them, start working and living and dying by them. And, uh, and so, yeah, I would say just stop reading the books, stop asking advice, um, stop talking to others about what you're doing because most people are just incredibly demoralizing and they have no, nothing really to gain anyway. And so they're just going to shoot down your ideas and then laugh when you fail. And so instead, just stay quiet, keep your heads down, uh, work really hard and uh, fail in private uh, and then succeed in public. Really, really great advice. I, I, what I what I think I hear you saying is stop asking questions of others, but constantly be questioning yourself, right? What is oh, it that yeah. you're trying to come up with, right? Well, definitely. And I think that's, again, the one thing that, you know, we can always count on is that we're wrong. Um, and if you're just betting on the fact that it's like, hey, I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to figure it out. Uh, it's like that's a much better place than saying it's like I'm probably right. Well, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that. I've been been starting many of my presentations with a quote from uh, M uh, Michel de Montaigne, as a French philosopher, who, as either his epitaph or his his dying declaration, said "Que sais-je," which means "What do I know?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, when you think about someone as smart as that who spent his entire year, years thinking about, you know, some of the great philosophical questions that plague mankind, and at the end he just said, I really don't know. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe part of that also is uh, be willing to actually have ambition. Like, choose a goal that is so big that it's almost embarrassing to talk about. But then don't talk about it because it's too embarrassing anyway. But choose something like... I, Try to change the world, but actually try and, and make your best shot at it. And uh, it's much more satisfying to actually be pursuing something that you really believe in than only pursuing the things that you're comfortable letting others know about. Well, and that's what what our show is really dedicated to is this this idea that the soul of enterprise that 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 business has this spiritual component, and it's a it's about a gift. It's what what gifts do you bring to the world that that others can benefit by, right? You know, we, we like to talk about it as that, you know, m money is the, is, the, is the receipts that you get for the, the good that you have done for people. I think that's a great way to think about it. Yeah. So, well, listen, we just want to uh, thank you for being a, a, a great guest on the show. This has been a, a very fast 60 minutes with you, and hopefully we will run into you in the future. Uh, so, so thanks on behalf of Ron and myself. Really appreciate you being on the show. Great. Hey, it was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much, David. That was great. Appreciate it very much. So, Ed, what's up next week? 
Next week we're on, of course, is our Free Rider Friday because it's the end of the month and we will be recapping what you and I see on the ground at Sage Summit 2016. So we're looking forward to that as well. And we've got a bunch of good stuff and a bunch of interviews coming up. So we're, we're really, really blessed to have uh, both uh, David Barrett and some, all, some other guests coming on the, the show, The Soul of Enterprise. Really happy about that. Gia, do you think we'll have some political stuff in Free Rider Friday? What do you think? I think it's very likely that we'll be talking politics. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to that, and I see you, I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week, folks, at Friday, on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please check out our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. We will have notes on our interview with David of Expensify. And also, you can contact Ed and myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for all the iTunes reviews that you've been doing and the emails you've been uh, sending. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>